Hi friends, it's Kayla Brandon. Welcome back to the Let's Get Candid podcast. How's everybody doing today? Happy Thursday. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever day or time it is that you're listening. So happy to be back on the mic with you guys. I'm a little out of breath, but that's because I am so on the go right now. I've just been all over the place. I've been all over Miami the last few days, just trying to get as much content and meetings and work done as possible because I know next week is Art Basel and I won't really be working that much to be going to all these events and things so it's just a madhouse over here but i am back from my travel spree the last month and it feels so good to be home and i can't wait for after art basel to really just hibernate and take a chill pill and be home with my family for the holidays but i am officially 26 i've posted my birthday solo q a life update episode for you guys and I have a really good episode for you today as well, but I hope you guys are enjoying the last few episodes that I've put up with different guests. They have been some of my favorites ever, and I really am just looking forward to where this podcast is going to go in the next few months. I recorded yesterday in person with people that I had just met for the first time. I've only ever done in person with people I'm actually good friends with, Um but it was so fun to record with the duo at Standard Self Care. So be on the lookout for that next month. But it was so much fun to just be a brickle downtown girly for the day, although my back is killing me from carrying my purse all up and down the Metro Mover and just walking around the city. But it was fun to change it up and do something different and have a, a little bit of a different routine. And I got to get coffee and lunch with friends and Yesterday was a really good day. This week has been a good week. Busy, but booked and busy is not a bad thing. And I'm honestly really excited to enjoy the next few weeks um, after the whirlwind that it's been. But, you know, I had to just tell you guys because, you know, things are crazy over here, but crazy in the absolute best way. And I love that I get to share that with you guys. So let's do a quick suck and sweet of the week and then I'll introduce you to this week's guest and we'll dive right in. So my suck of the week this week is honestly that I'm just sore. <laughs> like on like really I I can't say anything bad about this week. I got to go to a heat game this week with one of my friends and have a girls night. We had so much fun. I'm a big sports girl. I love going to a game and just experiencing it. The chicken tenders, the drinks, the the atmosphere. It's just so much fun. I love going to a sporting event. I'm a big sports girl. So that was really fun. Basketball is for the girls now. It was awesome. I got to do birthday yoga on Sunday. And yesterday I took a yoga class with one of my friends who is an instructor now at my studio. And she's actually the one who introduced me to the studio. So it just feels so cool to be able to support my friends like that. And I had such an incredible time at yoga. It's the best way to start my day. I've become a huge yoga girl now. And yeah, I try to go like two to three times a week. And then I'm going to try to do pilates one to two times a week and then i think i'll be set there with the workouts um and then getting back into a routine with eating healthy and sleeping and all of that i'm really trying to be in my wellness girl era my soft girl era the next few months um in between all the travel of course you know gotta have both but yeah so my suck of the week is that i'm sore and my sweet of the week is that honestly i just am in the best place ever i'm having so much fun i'm you know going to lunches and dinners and coffee with friends and meeting new people and going to events and also getting to spend time with my family and I just feel like it's 
you know, the best kind of running around with my, like a chicken with my head cut off. Um, but like I said, I am looking forward to being home as well and spending time with my loved ones. So yeah, I'm honestly really just happy and the weather is nice. It's a little chilly out, you know, and it's sunny and it's really pretty and definitely need to make it to the beach sometime soon and get my tan going because I'm looking a little pale, but I've been getting laser hair removal, so I can't be in the sun as much as I normally am. So that's a downside. But other than that, things are going really well. I know I'm rambling, but I'm just in a good mood, so I just want to ramble. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm heading to go hang out with Natalie, my friend who's the co-founder of Rella. So we're going to go co-work, get lunch, and then hang out for the rest of the day working together. And then I might get dinner with another friend. And then tomorrow I'm doing IG lives and just hanging out with friends online and having my CEO day call with Gigi, who's also been on the podcast. I'll link both of their episodes below. And yeah, honestly, things are really, really good. Oops, apologies for the text message. Um, but this is why I need to have my phone on like focus mode because people try to get through to me and then it like throws my whole day out of proportion sometimes because I'm like, oh man, I need to answer. Um, but yeah, so things are really good. Art Basel is next week, so I'll be going to a lot of those events. So I'm just really going to enjoy it this week and relax and take a breather. Um, but yeah, let's dive right in to this week's episode. I'm having Noor on. She is a powerhouse. What a woman. This conversation was absolutely incredible. I want to be her, her when I grow up. I want to be Noor. She just actually was at in Africa on a safari, which is my dream vacation. And I was like, I need all your itinerary. I need your recs. I need to know where you went for my future trip sometime way in the future. But she used to work in big four accounting. She worked in the healthcare industry. She was a, sw- a sports illustrated finalist. She is a screenplay writer. Like she does I, I literally don't even know. She does it all. And, you know, she went to Columbia. She went to all these incredible schools and has done so many incredible things. And it's just such a cool story. And I love a multifaceted woman. That is what we talk about in this episode. There is just something about a multifaceted woman that really just hits me in the heartstrings. You know, it, it, it really just, that's what I want to be when I grow up. And I, and I know that I am one, but seeing that it's possible that I could really do everything I want and I don't have to be put into a box and it's just so inspirational so I know you guys are going to love this conversation and I hope that I get to see her at our Basel this week coming up I need to text her actually but you know people like this these are the people I want in my life and these are the people that push me and motivate me and inspire me to keep doing what I'm doing So I hope that you enjoy and you get something out of it the same way I did having this conversation. It was a late night girl chat, me and her, and honestly, like I could do it a million times over. We just had such a good time and I, if there's one thing I can say that you need to take away from this episode, it's to just not let anybody stop you from doing what you want and invite the people in your life that are encouraging and supporting you and pushing you and giving you new ideas just invite that in and see where it takes you because you never know where you start and where you finish they're not the same thing you just never know what's going to happen and where things will lead you and when the right timing comes like certain things will just start happening in your life and you're going to look back and be like 
that doesn't even make any sense but it worked out exactly how i was supposed to and like it just it makes sense for my life and that's how i know she feels that's how i feel about my life and that's the goal you know that is the ultimate goal that we lived a life to the fullest and we didn't let anybody stop us because like i said in my birthday episode one of my lessons that i've learned that has gotten to gotten me to where i am today is that you're the only one who can make your dreams a reality and you just have to do it right now and just go for it and be confident about it and trust yourself along the way and the more you trust yourself and the more you keep your promises the more confident you'll get and the more you're just going to be willing to go for it and not take no for an answer and that is the story of this conversation and i really just look up to her so much i know you guys are going to love it too so if you like this episode please leave a rating and review please subscribe to the show share with a friend tag us as you're listening let me know who you want to see next what topics you want me to cover next and thank you so so much for being here with me i hope you guys had a great thanksgiving and have a good hanukkah and christmas season coming up and any other holidays you guys celebrate and if you're traveling safe travels and you know i know it's the end of the semester and it's a crazy time of year for everybody no matter who you are or what you're doing but i wish you guys all the best in the coming weeks and i will see you guys next week meet nor so nor what's something that people wouldn't know about you just from following you I think they would not know that I'm a classically trained opera singer. Oh, very cool. Another thing, <laughs> do you still sing now or is that something you just did as a child? I still sing and it's actually very hard to protect the time to sing because it's truly a hobby. It's truly an outlet. It's like one of, I think, you know, we all must feel this way. I think especially as women, as we get older, your time and your attention is so divided that your mind is just racing all the time. And I find that singing, especially opera, forces me to just shut my mind off from everything else. So I really want to continue doing it, even though I don't um, do it to perform anymore. So continuing it as a hobby, it's actually really hard. I'm really trying to protect the time and, you know, I go online, I meet with my teacher, everything's virtual now. Um, but yeah, I still do it. It's well, a good release. We can never stop learning. We're always a student. I love that so much. But yeah, I, I was a dancer my entire life. Possibly. Oh, nice. Um, and I it's like I miss it so much. Like I was talking to one of my childhood friends a couple of days ago. I want to just get back in the studio just for fun. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna compete, I'm not gonna perform, I'm not as flexible as I used to be, but I miss just I do yoga now and that helps and that that's my escape. Yeah. Like, I miss moving my body and connecting with the music and like expressing myself that way. Um and it's I hundred percent hobbies. One of my guy friends is always like, What do you do for fun? Because now you've made social media your job and you still and you use it to market yourself as a lawyer as well. So it's not just like a job like fashion and lifestyle travel for fun, it's also work. True. Yeah you what do you do for fun nowadays I'm like that's it I really had no answer for him I was like "Ooh, I really need to like figure that one out so I love that you mentioned that it's actually I mean it's a great point right like I remember when I was um training very regularly in singing and my voice coach had said do you want to join an opera group or an opera theater do you want to compete to get solos within the opera theater the minute she said that I said no because then it wouldn't be a hobby anymore it's really hard when you make your hobby your side hustle and then it becomes if you're able to make it a career and you know I I, that's kind of why I disagree with the if you love what you do you won't work a day in your life because it actually becomes so much more work 
because you love it and you have a vested interest in it working out. You're so right. Like I, I, you know, I do love what I do and I wouldn't like on my worst day, I'm still going to bitch and moan about it because it sucks <laughs> and I'm not going to not love it, but it's hard. And so listen, I was just talking about this, like with my friend on another podcast, like relationships should be easy because it's like, we work, we're so busy all day. I want to come home at the end of the day or, you know, shut the office door at the end of the day and walk outside and like go sit on the couch with my family and live at home or with a partner or my friends and like, just talk about stupid things and like decompress and like, because work is hard. And like, because you love it, I'm, I'm willing to put in so much more work into it. Right. So I mean, I could not agree more (laughs) that if you love something, you actually probably care more about it and you work harder at it. And I also agree that relationships and love should be easy. I'll never forget when I went through a really bad breakup, um, a friend called me up and she said, you know, I used, my husband and I used to watch you and your partner and we would follow you on social media. And we would just think, oh my gosh, these two, they're so in love and they're so happy. And they, and she's like, and she said, we would look at each other and say, do we love each other that much? But she knew behind the scenes that there were so many highs and so many lows. And she said, when finally that relationship ended, she said, I don't know how else to tell you this, but love should be easy. And when you find that easy love, you're going to remember what I told you. And that is going to be the person you marry. And she could not have been more right. Every time I started falling for my now husband, everyone would say, well, what is it about him? And what what do you like about him? I said, one, he has the kindest heart. Two, I said, it's just easy. Like there's a difference between easy and settling, easy and boring. And it's, it's just, I was like, I can do all the things I want to do, like you're saying, And I can come back and have the greatest evening with him and decompress and laugh and relax and not worry about our relationship. So I can go worry about all the dreams I'm pursuing instead. Can we talk about that? The difference between easy and settling? Because I I talk about that all the time on the podcast. I wrote a blog post a couple of years ago on why we should never settle. Girl, I'm like catching up on your blog post. I've been trying to read all of them. (laughs) They're good. I started it in college, but talk about that difference because it is, I think I'm, I'm, I'm single right now, but I'm in the dating process. And like, it's harder to date now as a career woman, like than it's ever been for me. And, you know, finding someone who is supportive and of me, my ambitions and also has ambitions of their own, and we can build something together, but also allow each other to do it on our own. Um, and like, I always said, like, I, I refuse to settle for someone who like, doesn't support my ambitions or who's like gonna resent me someday but like I want it to be easy like I want it to be based on a friendship and have a foundation of love and support and like kindness so can you talk a little bit about that yeah I think I think what you're describing about wanting someone who supports your ambition doesn't resent that you have these ambitions that you're going to pursue and prioritize that is so different than settling. Like the definition that I think us as women might talk about amongst our friends about if you settle or not. I think when something is easy, I guess I define that when I was experiencing that, like I was, you know, when I met my um, now husband, 
I was in this total boss mode. I decided to start a production company. I was like, I wrote a TV pilot and then I decided to film it and I put a whole crew together. Like I was just like, and I was doing my day job and socializing. And I think when I felt what I found easy was that not once during those chaotic days was I stressed about our like budding relationship. And I didn't have anxiety about the fact that I was staying home and working through script edits. And he may have been out in New York City with his friends, like bar hopping and going out. I just, there never was a feeling that I needed to um, check on what he was doing or be nervous about who he was with. And why that I define that as easy is because he gave me that reassurance just in how he was in our relationship that I didn't have to go down that path of anxiety or overthinking. If you are settling, it's because you're with someone that it's almost like, you know, you're with someone that you never have to worry about is going to be hit on by another woman or is going to be social and fun and charismatic that's settling because then you don't have to worry about what they're doing when they're out because they're not going out or they don't have a social life or they're kind of awkward. They're not giving you something in the relationship that makes you feel like it's easy. Just who they are is actually just not the type of person that you probably should be with, but you are with them because then you don't have to worry about what they're doing. And so I feel like that's what I, when I say the difference between like easy and like settling and Your definition, though, is really a good one. And I think that one is, it's like, you know, you're settling in that context. If you're giving up your dreams for someone else's dreams or for someone else's vision of what they thought their relationship and family was going to be like, that Kayla was going to be this devoted, you know, mom to our kids and prioritize that and tell me that that's that's what she wants and um, deprioritize her budding businesses that she's growing. That's, that might've been that person's vision and you're settling. If you suddenly decide that's your vision. A hundred percent. And because that was always my vision of settling, I have developed and I'm now working to unpack as I learned that about myself. This was like, yeah, I, I learned, I have a fear of losing my independence in a relationship. And it's because of that fear of settling that I was holding on to for so long. So I was never going to be guilty of settling but it was almost I wasn't also allowing myself to date and really meet someone and allow somebody in because I didn't want to have to like yeah but I I like your definition of what easy is and I that is my goal I aspire to experience that and and I think I'm getting a lot closer I've done a lot of work on myself in the last year to two years this summer to really get to that point and I'm meeting people that I'm more aligned with but I think it comes with knowing who you are and not being afraid to go after what you want and being multi-hyphenate and multi-passionate and going for it and not being afraid of what people think or do or say behind your back which is what I want to talk to you about really is you so many different things you were just saying like you had a day job and you were reading and writing scripts and you started a production company you you your day job was you know PwC, which is like one of the top companies in the world. Like you have an MBA, you also were a sports illustrated finalist. Like I that's goals. Like these the type of people I want in my life. That like you can do it all. And like they say, like you can't have it all. Like you can have it all. You can't have it all at once. It comes in waves and it takes time. So I just 
walk me back. Like, who were you as a kid that <laughs> are unfolding? I'm just, I, I want to know. Well, first I will say whenever someone has ever said to me, you can't have it all. My response is watch me because like that is such a um, gatekeeping comment that like us as women get so much of from one another and then from men or from older women, you can't have it all. And my response is watch me. And I love what you said. It doesn't have to all happen at the same time. It goes in waves or, you know, but like if you, if you accept that you're not going to have it all, then you never will, then you're not going to pursue all these different things, you know? And um, so I was, I was born um, in Southern California. So um, my parents are actually immigrants from India. So I was a first generation born and raised in Southern California. And um, I grew up in a really small town and it was mostly um, whites and some Hispanics. And then I moved to LA when I was 15. And then I got exposed to like all different sorts of cultures and identities. But I also then really, you know, I grew up in like the Baywatch era, right? It's like blonde hair, blue eyed bombshells on the beaches of Southern California. And um, I think struggling with figuring out my identity because there was so many different roles I could play given my parents' background. And then my parents also had a religious background that they were teaching us. And then I was in Southern California as this all-American and all of these different things. I almost felt like I had so many options, but that also left me confused of like, who do I want to be? when I grow up. And I really think Kayla, like, as you're talking about, like asking me to unpack it, maybe that's why I feel like I have never, I've, I've always embraced this whole notion of like a multifaceted identity and doing everything and anything you want, because I never fit into a box, right? I was never, you know, I wasn't American enough for the Americans. I wasn't Indian enough for the Indians. I wasn't religious enough for the, um, for like the, the, my, my parents, um, background is in the Islamic faith. I wasn't religious enough for, to fit there. So I think I just kind of had to find my way and whatever sparked my interest, I decided I'm like, Oh, okay, I'm going to try that. Or I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And cause I was think I was trying to find an identity or find a community, but I think that thinking has stayed with me in terms of, all right, like I'm going to try this for a job. I'll try, I'll try going to business school or, or heck yeah, let's go. Let, let me, I've always wanted to be in sports illustrated. Let me try. But maybe that's where that all came from. I'm on first gen as well. Both my parents are Hispanic. I was the first born in this country. I'm from two different countries. My mom's Cuban. My dad's Ecuadorian. They met in high school here in the U S and you know, Spanish is my first language. I was yeah. like, I mean, I still am Catholic and I'm spiritual more than religious, but they allowed us to have that relation. They're not, super, they're also like that, you know? So at least I, that, yeah. they allowed us to really figure out, they gave us the freedom to figure out who we really were for ourselves. And I agree. I think part of why I really leaned into the multifaceted, multi-hyphenate thing as well is because, yeah, I never, I couldn't be put into a box, but I also didn't want to be put into a box I wanted to do a little bit of everything I wanted to play sports and watch sports with the boys but I also was a dancer and I liked fashion and beauty and you know I grew up in the early 2000s you know Y2K like all of that and I my dad's a marine so I grew up watching military movies and I considered yeah myself at one point and so I, I I yeah I really struggled with figuring out like where's the best fit for me? And then I went to law school and that was where I really was like, yeah, the writing on the wall. And like, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want to pick one 
job and like be there for the rest of my life. That's what big law and like that path is like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to do it on my own terms. And now the career that I have, I get to wake up every day and be like, what am I going to do today? What's on my calendar? What do I want to do today? How do I want to show up? All, All I've done today is podcasts. Like that's, that's my job though. And that's, I love that. And tomorrow's a contract day. Tomorrow's Friday's a trademark day. And like, I love that I get to do all these different things. I love that for you. I wanted to find a box. Like I spent a lot of my childhood and teen years wanting to find that box. I felt lost. So it's like really refreshing to hear someone say, I never, you know, I knew I didn't want to be put in a box. I think I had, I was craving that so much so I could find some stability. And once I learned to embrace what you've embraced probably much earlier than I did, that's what really unlocked this feeling of, um, age isn't going to stop me. Like, um, being married or not being a mother or not, or just because I have a day job or not, isn't going to stop me from trying to, you know, throw my hat in the ring in anything that interests me. And I just don't understand why we have, we put such a taboo around that. Yeah. Like pick a lane, like become a specialist. Like why I have one life. There's so much to experience and I'm not hurting anyone by, by attempting to be a generalist in more and more things. Cause I have one life to figure it all out. You know, I joke that I have a bottomless pit of useless knowledge, but I, it's like <laughs> same time, my curiosity, because I know a little bit about a lot of things and it makes me dangerous. Like I can walk into any room young, old, different religion, different country, like different language. And I can find some commonality with somebody. And I love that. And I enjoy it so much because I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to, you know, I'm curious. I want to know about people and which is how the podcast came about really, to be honest. Yeah. I, I love that. Like, and I, I won't say that I truly never wanted to be put into a box. I'm sure at some point I, I did like you're told to, you know, same thing. Like I'm not blonde, blue eyed. Like I have curves. Like I don't look like what the Y2K girls look like. I struggled with that for a really long time, but I also, I guess very early on, yeah, saw the power in being myself and not, and being unapologetic about it. Although I struggled with it a lot, but I think being raised in a very multicultural city where we have a little bit of everything. I'm born and raised in Miami. I left for school for seven years, but I'm back now. And, you know, being surrounded by a little bit of everything allows that really to flourish, which is what happened when you moved to LA and you started experiencing all these other things. You're like, oh, like, okay, let me just do everything. Like, let me lean into yeah. it. You could always try something new and try again. And, you know, I don't think like, I don't know if you've ever heard of Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx, but something her dad would always ask her as a kid was, how, instead of how was your day or how was school? How did you fail today? Yeah, how did that. You and what did you learn from it? Or what are you going to learn from it? Or how are you going to do better next time? And I, that's something I really want to start. I, when I have kids, I would love to be able to, to do that with. Because it's like, I don't think failure or a no is a bad thing. I think it's an opportunity to learn and try something new. Um, but where did, so you were an opera singer growing up now it's a hobby. Did you always want to get an MBA? Like, did you always want to do business? Like, where did that come in? Like, yeah, it's funny. I was just telling someone this story yesterday. Um, cause I was recounting it. Um, I listen, I can, I can tell a great story retrospectively, but I would be lying if I said, I knew what that story was going to unfold. Like 
how it was going to unfold when I was living it, right? But when I tell it retrospectively, it's like, wow, this is a perfect red thread. But I think that's a really good exercise and everyone should do that. Try to find the red thread in telling your life story so that you don't feel like everything was aimless or that every choice you have somehow does inform the future. And you have to like appreciate that and find that intentionally. And for me, I had been at PricewaterhouseCoopers, I was a healthcare consultant. And I'll be very honest with you, Kayla. I remember I was working and I was living with my best friend in LA. We were just like living our best lives in our early 20s, like finally making a paycheck after grad school, feeling great about it. And um, she was getting married. And she knew that she would then be leaving and moving out. And I'm not making this up. I said, well, I don't want to go on Craigslist and find a random roommate. And we were talking at the time to her really good friend from college. And that friend of hers always used to visit us in LA, always used to stay with us. We'd all have like a great old time together. And she happened to be staying with us. And um, she said, well, Nora, you've talked about going to, you know, going to get your MBA. Why don't you just do it? You know, like your roommates moving out, just do it. And I said, oh, I'll think about it. I feel like I need a couple more years of work experience and whatnot. That friend that I'm talking about who visited us and stayed with us happens to be the co-founder of Figs. So she is now like she was part of the first female co-female founders who ever IPO'd. And like she literally would tell us like, I'm going to make history. And she did make history, but it's her personality. And she said, why wait? Why are you like undercutting yourself or shortchanging yourself? You've been working for a few years, just apply. So she told me, like, she kept pushing me. She's like, just apply. What, what, what's the harm in applying? Just take your GMATs and apply to business school. You've talked about it casually enough. And um, I said, okay, yeah, I'll probably apply to this Southern California schools. Like maybe I'll go to UCLA again. Trina said, if you're going to apply, like go all the way, give it your 150%. Like you're not going to apply again to business school unless you don't get in. So go for it. Go apply to the Ivy Leagues. Like, have you ever thought about moving to the East Coast? And she had gone, she had just finished up at Harvard. I don't know what it was, Kayla, but the way she was like, I don't understand why you're not just going for it. The worst that could happen is they say no. And so, yeah, so I applied to all the business schools and then that found me in New York. I ended up going to Columbia and it was like the best experience, best decision I ever made. And moving to New York is, I mean, I know it's so trite. Everyone says this about New York, but New York is where I really found myself. And that's how I ended up in business school, not for any career reasons or that I wanted to further my like finance career. I literally, that's how it happened. And it changed my life. I love that everything happens for a reason. And I love that it was, she's now the found co-founder of Figs. Like that's really cool. Like I joke about all the time. Like, I don't think I live in a six degrees of separation world anymore. I think I'm like three to four degrees from like <laughs> people. And I love that because also you guys didn't know at the time that that was where you were going to end up, where she was going to end up. And that's the beauty. And like you're saying, like looking back retrospectively, like finding the red thread. I say that too, that exact phrase, red thread. I say that and I look back at my journey and I talk and I talk about it all the time, like looking back and how I got from point A to point B and like my vision board and like what I want my life to look like in 10 years, all of that. And like, it looks like I do a lot of crazy things that don't make sense, but in my head, there is a red thread and it works out. And that's why I do everything that I do. And I love that you're the same way. And, you know, I think yeah, why, if you were going to apply, why not go bigger, go home? And it all worked out. And that was, I, I literally applied to law school late 
I applied in January, pretty late. And I was like, I don't have the score right now, but I'm going to apply this cycle. And if I don't get into a good enough school or get a decent enough scholarship, I'll try again next year. I could not have picked a better school for myself. And I got a half tuition scholarship. That's so amazing. it ends up working out. And New York was your place. Tennessee was mine, even though it's complete opposite from how I grew up and where I grew up. And it was hard. Don't get me wrong. It was the hardest three years of my life, but it was what made me who I am today. It allowed me to really come into my own and I wouldn't change it for the world now, but you know, that, that decision, that one decision can really make a big difference in your life. So, and it is, and it's like, you know, um, I will say, and I had actually told someone else the story. To, I was remembering the story with my mom. I'd spent a couple of weeks back home with my family and um, we were laughing about this, but I will say that, you know, if someone's listening to your podcast or we're talking about all these different things we've done and, oh my gosh, they're so multifaceted and, oh my gosh, they went to law school. Oh, she went to Columbia. It sounds like, it can actually sound intimidating sometimes to young women, you know, like, oh, where are they finding the time to, I am in by no means, like, I mean, Trina, my friend who is the co-founder of Figs, unbelievably intelligent, unbelievably smart. But I will say when I applied to these business schools, I laughed. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not getting into, <laughs> I'm not getting into an Ivy League school. No one in my family had been to an Ivy. We didn't even know what Ivy Leagues were. And we're not that, that's not as big of a culture in California. So um, when I applied, I did not like hear back from them, but I got an interview and I remember the interviews were based in California. And Kayla, when I went to the interview, I walked in and I thought I bombed it. I was, it didn't, wasn't that great, but the interviewer that they're always alumni. He called me and he's like, I'm filling out your application. Have you gone and visited the school? And I laughed. I'm like, no, I live in California. Like I'm not, why would I go to New York? He's like, you know, business schools are like homecoming Queens. They need attention. So I, I don't want to write on this application that you didn't go and visit the business school, but I'm going to have to say that. And that's probably going to hurt you. And in my head, I'm like, well, a lot else hurt me. I don't think I did well on that interview. But then um, my boyfriend at that time said, go to New York, like go visit the campus. So I went to Columbia in the freezing cold in February. And I hated everything about New York. I hated my life. I was like, I'm not ever going to move to the city. Like I, I was a Southern California girl my entire life. I did not understand how to dress for the cold. I'm in there in bitter February and I attend a class and it's based in like healthcare marketing. Cause I was in healthcare and I struck up a conversation with the professor. I told him I was a visiting prospective student he liked, he, you know, we had a great conversation and he said, Hey, um, go visit the admissions office and go speak to Mary Miller. And I said, okay, I guess I'll go speak to Mary Miller. And I'm calling my mom. I'm slipping on the, uh, on the snow and I don't know where this office is. And I walk in and, um, Mary Miller, I'm like, I'm here to see Mary Miller. And she's this wonderful, sweet, sweet lady. And she said, Oh, you're Noor. And I said, yeah. And she pulls something out of her drawer. I'm not making this up. She pulls something out of her drawer and it's my personal statement. And she said, I have been reading this every night before going to bed. And I have been thinking of you. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And she said, my husband asked me, why do you keep reading this person's personal statement? And she said, because I don't think it's true. I don't believe this is a true story. And it's just such a compelling personal statement. And it, I don't, I just don't think it's true. And so she said, so can you tell me more about what you wrote? So I told her about my personal statement and I expanded on it. 
And she said, great. And then she left the room. She came back and she said, awesome. Welcome to Columbia Business School. If I had not gone in person to speak with Mary Miller, I would never have gotten into that business school. And she told me point blank, she said, your, your numbers on your exam, your GMAT aren't like where I want them to be. So I am giving you admission into Columbia Business School on one condition. Can you in good faith retake your GMATs and try to get a higher score? <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, can I have it in writing that if I don't get the higher score, I can, I'm still accepted into this business school? She said, yes. I just, in good faith, can you try so I can keep like, you know, the averages up for our business school statistics. So I go back, I retake the GMATs, I get a lower score than the first time. And I called up Mary and I was like, well, I did, I actually got a lower score. And she said, hey, I promised you like you're in. I just wanted you to make that attempt, but you are in. And that's how I got into Columbia Business School. And I, you know what that reminds me of when I look back retrospectively, because every day of studying in finance and economics and building financial models at school was really tough for me. All my classmates, I was seeing them sail through these classes. I struggled a lot, but I worked really hard. But I always reminded myself that I got in because of my words and because of my personal statement. And I look back and realize, yeah, I'm a storyteller. That's what really made me realize, like, I am a storyteller. I'm going to go full force into like writing my screenplays and talking to women like you and screenwriting. And you you, you don't recognize your strengths until you're far removed from a situation. So, you know, I had no business being there, but I got in and, and it made the most of it. You and I are like two kindred spirits. <laughs> I had a very sim- parallel, similar experiences. Yeah. I applied to Tennessee on a fee waiver. I had never, like it was free to apply. They gave me a fee waiver because they like toured my college and did like a presentation. I was like, free to apply, cool. I had never heard of Knoxville. I had never been to Knoxville. I had been to Tennessee. I had never been to Knoxville. And I get there. Submitted students weekend is when I chose to go. My parents are like, just go. Like I had never been in a hotel room by myself. I had never stayed in a hotel room by myself. I always had a friend or my parents or somebody. And I felt so weird being in like a Hilton by myself <laughs> that I've never been in. And but my parents like, just go, like, we'll pay for it. Like, go. I met my best friend in admitted students day. She's my best friend to this day. He was a 3L. I was a 1L. So I only had a year with her in school. But she, so there was three Hispanic kids in my class and 10 Black students in a class of 126. She wasn't even my class. She was two classes above me, but she was from Florida. She's black. And I was like, okay, if you like it here, I like it here. Like I can see myself liking it here. And that was the reason I chose Tennessee because of the money. The scholarship was a big part for sure, but was like, okay, I can see myself here for three years. I knew I wasn't going to stay in Tennessee forever. But I was like, I can see myself here. And it was the people that I met at that school, the professors that saw and believed in me that kept me going, not the classmates. Everyone was doing really, really well. And I had, I was failing. But I remember telling my professors, like, I'm, I'm going to graduate. I'm going to walk across that stage. That's what's more important to me than the grades, because I'm not going to go to big law. I'm going to figure it out, man. I'm going to make it happen. Like, I, I'm good. Don't worry about me. Like, just let me graduate and let me do it on my own terms. And they allowed it to happen. And they come to me now and are so impressed. I mean, they want me to talk to students and like, 
go to events and like I'm going to homecoming two weeks and really excited to be back for the first time and really see these people that transformed my life but also meet the next generation but it was it's very funny that that was your experience and that one person like I had it wasn't during admissions I was a student already but yeah I those two professors that took me under their wing and really they gave me the confidence and the the ideas that allowed me to come into my own so I and yeah I'm a storyteller I love I'm a connector I love connecting with people that's why I use social media the way that I do and grow my business I get all my clients through my crazy TikTok stories like even though they're not about law it that's how I I I was talking about my dad you'd get a kick out of this my dad always said your presence your confidence your poise that's your personal brand you can walk into a room and talk to anybody and he taught us that from a very young age like He's like, you're not going to necessarily be the smartest or the prettiest or whatever. You might be the only girl, but you can talk to anybody and that's your personal brand. And you, the way you carry yourself because of dance, like posture, all of that. And now what I do is for a living is I help people protect their brand as a trademark attorney. There's that red thread. I love that. Well, like it just, it's really funny. You were saying like you were, your screenplays, that gave you the confidence of knowing that your personal statement, which I talk to a lot of people applying to grad school, particularly law school, but your personal statement is essential over grades or scores, hundred percent. But like, I love that it was that you were like, okay, like if that is what got me in here, I'm going to keep, I'm a storyteller. I know it. And like that took you into the next chapter of your life. Uh, so what happened after school? Did you just dive right into screenplay and writing or did you? Oh. So after, after business school, I, um, I got a job at Pfizer. So I became a pharmaceutical marketer. And again, none of this was really planned. Like I, I learned from what Trina had said, and I knew I was going to stay in healthcare, but I had never really dipped my toes into pharmaceuticals. I was always on the working with hospitals and health insurance companies when I was a consultant. So I decided, oh, maybe I'll try my hand at big pharma because that's one part of healthcare I have never been in. And when I had to do an internship between our first and second year, um, I, I, I applied the Trina school of thinking and I only applied to one internship. And that was at Pfizer because it was the only name of a pharmaceutical company that I recognized. I had no, I didn't really know anything about pharma. So everyone, including some of my guidance counselors were very nervous saying, if you don't get this internship, what's your backup plan? You have to have an internship to, you know, graduate from Columbia. And I said, I'll figure it out, but that's, that's where I'm going to do it. Otherwise I won't do one in, in pharmaceuticals. And I got the internship and, um, I ended up really liking it, but I think I liked it more because I was like in New York and working and actually making money in the summer of New York city. So I loved that aspect of it. And, um, then I got a full-time offer and I went into marketing. And again, I will say this very candidly, I went in blind. I still wasn't really fully sure what a marketer did because when I was starting to take marketing classes in business school, I really thought I was going into advertising. Like, oh, these are the people that make the campaigns and the creatives and make the commercials. Then I step into Pfizer and I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm building a lot of financial models and a marketer essentially in pharmaceuticals, you're a, you're a general manager, you're a business manager, you own a PL, you're running a business and you're trying to figure out how to move supply. And, you know, you've got a budget and you're trying to hit a revenue target. So I quickly got really into business mode. Um, and I, I, I was a marketer for several years and I think maybe two or three years into having that career, 
I finally said, okay, I have a big girl job. I've got two master's degrees. <laughs> I'm, I'm able to like afford a life in New York. I need to be really honest about what do I want to do? So I enrolled in, um, I enrolled in screenwriting classes and I took them at night and I would go to work and then I would go straight to class. And, um, that's how I learned, um, all the elements of screenwriting because I did not go to film school. It wasn't like I was going to go back into film school. And, um, I met like my teacher and mentor through those screenwriting classes. And I just knew that I had these, like, I would tell my, my grandfather, I'm like, I have all these like visions of a story playing out in my head. And I don't know if I'm just like in the clouds. And he said, he's like, no, he's like, that's what screenwriters do. <laughs> they have stories in their heads and they got to figure out how to put it on paper. So that's how I got into screenwriting. And I, um, continue to just pursue writing scripts and pitching them. And it's interesting and amazing how accessible people are in a city as compact as New York. So I actually met a lot of contacts and was able to pitch scripts to a lot of different TV shows and producers just through through New York and through the contacts, none of which have ever gotten sold, none of which have ever made them their way anywhere. But um, I just, I love it so much. So I'm never going to stop doing it. No, I, I love that. I love that it was, like I said at the beginning, like the hobby, you really like you invested in your hobbies because it was important to you. And my dad actually jokes and like several people joke with me, like you have a lot of stories in your head. You have a lot of crazy stories that you live. And like, mm -hmm. I was most likely to be in a telenovela, like a, a Latin soap opera <laughs> in high school. Like, you need to write a book. I'm like, add that to my to-do list when I'm 40. But like, sure. Um, not, not yet. But like, I, I agree. I, I there maybe they would be fun. They like could be good. But I love that you lean into that hobby. And also because you went to business school and you worked in these like very business manager marketing roles, you know how to run a business. So you now know how to run a production company. Had you gone to film school because you wanted to be the top screenplay writer or a director or producer, it doesn't mean you know how to run a production company, you know, like it, 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 red thread it works it makes sense it allows you totally to put your sides together and it's funny my brother actually he just graduated from undergrad with a marketing degree and he likes that the business side of marketing the analytics the models like yeah that's where he's help we're helping him look for a job in that so it was funny you were saying that I was like oh like that's an interesting like maybe like business school would be like the right fit for him to be able to get a job in that um, and we're trying to convince him to go to business school. He was like, I'm done with college after undergrad. Like, no. Oh my gosh. Tell him it is. So one of my favorite TV pilots that I've ever written and I'm like actively pitching, it's called sorry for partying. And it's an entire show based on our, my life in business school. It follows six friends through our two years of business school. And it's called sorry for partying. Tell your brother it is one big two year party. So as much as like the studying is really tough, the beautiful part about that I, I never take for granted is I worked for so many, like six years after getting my master's in public health reality check of like working that corporate America job and going, wow, this is what I have to do for the rest of my life. And then you get this beautiful opportunity for two years to not work and to get to almost relive college and know now, like you have all the insight like in college you had no you have no idea how precious time is you know it's like time is endless and you would give anything to go back to have those moments and you get that when you go into those two years of business school and um 
And then on top of that, you get a network because you're investing in an amazing network of people. And you, I mean, you are, you are, you are learning the definition of hard work. It's like they, they work hard and they play hard in business school. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I also love the title. Like that's how law school felt too. Like it was, <laughs> we were on the, one of the biggest like college football town sits yeah. in the world. Like it was a party football games. Like I, when I tell you, I'm so excited to go back homecoming. I'm so excited to go back football. Like it was the fall, the leaves, the, but we partied hard. We literally would go out Thursday, Friday, Saturday, brunch, Sunday, go to the library and I do it all again the next week. And oh, yeah. that's, and so I love the title. Sorry for partying. I definitely, we're, we're, we're getting closer to getting him to go. Um, maybe I'll convince yeah. him this episode so he gets the kick in the butt he needs. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It did change my life. Like truly, like I know it sounds trite, but that also like being in New York and going to business school, it gave me a lot of confidence. Cause like, I mean, once I left Pfizer, I don't think, you know, I have not built a financial model since then, but you can put a financial model in front of me and I will like build the shit out of it. Like, you know, you don't forget some of these skills. And I do think that gave me that confidence. So to my husband and I, we just launched our own plant-based protein bar. And it's like a business we started from the ground up. And, you know, we, when we got engaged, I went um, plant-based. I was like, oh, let me try going plant-based to get healthy and prep for the wedding. And he noticed that all my protein bars were not plant-based that I was eating. So he said, I'll make you one. I'm going to make you a plant-based bar so you can stick to your plant-based diet. And we've parlayed that now into our own business that we just like, you know, launched. And then we relaunched when we perfected the taste of the bar. But I don't think I would ever, one, have the the confidence to have done this one without the right partner, but two, just, I do think, I know a lot of people say you don't need to go to business school to, to be successful entrepreneur. I completely, completely agree with that. hundred percent. There are different personalities though. So it mine helps. is the personality. It helps. There's a reason they exist. Yeah. And like, like for my personality that gave me confidence. Whereas maybe my husband's personality is this type that he doesn't need that to like go out and, and try something. But um, so I also tell people like really figure, figure, you have to really know your personality and know the reasons you're going into business school because you're old enough to like make that. Like we don't, you don't know why you're going to college. You don't know what you major you should be when you're a first or second or even third year. But by the time you're thinking about business school, like you, you, you know yourself a little bit more. And so just be honest with yourself. Like, um, I was honest. So I was like, yeah, it's like, I think, I, I think I do need this, this kind of degree to, to further my, my, my life goals. I couldn't agree more. I, that's what I tell people all the time. People that they, they see me through my law school blog or my law school TikToks. Even now I'm like advice for law students as an attorney, like that's kind of my shtick now, but it used to be like, I'm showing you my life while I'm in it. But my biggest thing is like, why are you going to law school? Why, what do you want to be that do you need to be a lawyer to do? If not, don't go to law school. It can help you. It'll benefit you. But if, like, why? Why are you doing that? So yeah. I, and also with the starting the protein bars and the way that that business came about for you and for you guys together is the people who find a white space in the market because it's something that they need and they create for themselves. Those are the successful businesses, you know? Yeah. And so I love I hope so. about <laughs> for you guys and I'm not plant-based, but I, I love trying out like different things like that. So let me know what it is so I can 
look for oh, it. 100%. No, 100%. I'll send you some. Um, yeah. I were excited. And listen, like we're not, we're not fully plant-based at all either. He's not at all plant-based. I mean, he eats like a, he eats his greens, but I, we've learned so much about like the vegan community and being plant-based and whatnot. And it, it, it just, it just opened. I don't know. I just, this goes back to what we were saying. Like if you open yourself up to being multifaceted, the amount of new people you meet or new things you're exposed to, and that's not a bad thing. And my mentor, when I was going to business school, this is something that you had been, you had said, and I wanted to earmark it that when I was going to business school, I was going to Columbia. Columbia is known as like one of the top finance schools. If you want to go into banking, you want to go into finance, you go to Columbia. And um, if you want to go into marketing, you tend to go to like Kellogg. But I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to Columbia. So should I major in finance? And I'll, I guess I'll do that. And my mentor at that time said, are you planning to have a career in finance? Are you going to go to investment banking? I said, no. And he said, well, weren't you thinking about going into maybe like um, management or marketing? At that time, I thought I wanted to go into advertising, which I thought was marketing. And I said, yeah. And he said, so listen, here's the thing. You don't have to be fluent in finance. You have to be conversational in it. But if you're planning to have a career in advertising or marketing, maybe that's what you need to be fluent in. And that stayed with me forever. And I give that advice to all of my, my team members and the young you know, men and women on my team too. I said, you know, we're doing a lot. So now I eventually, my day job, I did make my way to advertising. So I left marketing and now I truly am in advertising. So I truly am in the space where we are creating those commercials and the campaigns for our clients and brands. And I tell everyone, I said, listen, we're working with a lot of different clients who have, are in very different industries. You got to figure out what you have to be fluent in and that's advertising. And then you got to figure out what you have to be conversational in, a conversationalist in, which is all of their brands. You can't go deep on everything, but you have to make those choices about, about that. And so you had said something earlier about that. And it's so true. Like you've got to figure out what you want to be fluent in and what you want to be conversationalist in. And you can still be just as like, you know, deadly in business and just as effective if you can carry a conversation with someone about something that they're a specialist in. And that's what you get from being multifaceted. You get to be exposed to enough things to carry a conversation with so many different people. So I, I love that you do that. I couldn't agree more. And there's that red thread again that you ended up in advertising. But <laughs> the, I think I'm going to title the podcast that. <laughs> But I, I I love that. And it's just how did so, you know, how did you end up back in advertising? Like, you know, you were you doing the screenplay thing, you started when did the production company come about? And then is the advertising within the production company or is no. that yeah. So the production company started in 2017. It's called Ashiana Films. I named it after my grandfather's house in India, which is called the Ashiana. And um, it's because I kept getting no's on a pilot that I was pitching. Um, and I was really excited about this pilot when I heard that there was a white space and, and a need by BET. They were looking for new content for a new show. So I had pitched them this amazing idea that I loved. And I was like, okay. And I like, I, and I I was in that room pitching and I just loved the rush of like stitching the story together and trying to make them really love the script. And um, they said, no, ABC said, no, uh, Netflix said, no, everyone said no. Um, but then I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to shoot it. 
I think I can take, I can make a 10 minute version of this pilot if I condense the script and I'm just going to do it. So I took my savings. I started the production company and I literally, when I was in marketing, every marketing team has an advertising team, right? That they work with. So I took the girls that were my advertising account leads and I said, Hey, do you want to work on this with me? Cause they're so organized and they're such like bosses. And I was like, would you want to do this project with me? They said, yes. I called up my business school friends. I to, to borrow their space in New York to shoot, you know, through another business school friend, I found my director. I like found my cast. Cause I used to model in LA and one of my best friends that I met in LA through modeling, he and I used to be on those shoots and he would always tell me, I don't want to model. I want to be an actor. I'm going to be an actor one day. And he is an actor now. And I called him and I said, remember how I said I was going to write a script that you would be in? It's here. It's ready. So he came out to New York and he was our main cast and we cast the whole thing. And it just all came together really organically. Like I, I, I look back and I don't know how I did it because I was still working at Pfizer. I was like starting a new relationship with my now husband and um, I funded it all myself with my savings because I was like, F this. I want to call the shots. I want to be making all the decisions. And we shot this pilot so much fun. Like it was so much fun, so much like pressure and stress, but so much fun. And, um, I had like so many like hurdles, so many mishaps, so many mistakes, but then I went back into BET and I was like, well, here's the pitch. Like, and now I got a pilot to show you and all of this excitement to say that they called me and they're like, yeah, we don't really get it. <laughs> it felt totally flat with them but I just loved the experience. So I just kept going with it, with the, with the screenwriting. I paused on anything like production related, but I just knew that I was like, okay, like I can do this. Like I can do this if I need to like, you know, figure it out. So I, it gave me more confidence to pitch my scripts because I literally said to people, yeah, I know that you, ha I have no credits to my name, but I also know that if you give me your money, I will manage it beautifully. And I will be able to produce the shit out of the script. Right. So yeah. that's where it got, I caught, I didn't decide I needed to keep producing my own stuff, but it gave me confidence when I went back out there to pitch. No, I love that so much. And I love that you remembered that one guy from when you're modeling days and it was a, it was a team effort. It was a group effort. And you, you said like, what you literally just said right now, like you can manage someone's money, business school helped with that. Like you're yeah. just, everything really truly does happen for a reason. And I also can relate on the sense of, you know, I started my firm officially. I started it in January this year, but I, Congrats. I thank you. I got the, I created the entity with the state of Florida in November last year. I've actually only ever been, I've only been on my own as a law firm owner fully. That is my sole income source or like I have another business, but like that is my main income source starting September. It is October. It's only been a month and a half. I worked yeah. at a time I've, as an attorney at a personal injury firm part-time for a year while I was building up the firm. So, and I, I bootstrapped, I bootstrapped everything that I've done in the firm. My parents have only given me $3,500 as a loan for a trademark course. And the whole deal was I was going to pay them back with interest. When I made my first $3,500 or my first 4,000 like interest, I said, how do you want me to send it to you? Because I don't have checkbooks because no one uses checks anymore. So I was like, how do I send this to you? They're like, just keep it. Like, it worked out, just keep it. 
take it as a gift. So if it would kind of worked out, I would have been alone. And, but I can relate to that, the bootstrapping, the figuring it out. And yeah, I mean, and it's so exhilarating too. And I think it's not at all related to what I do in advertising. I'm still in the healthcare world when it comes to advertising. I work at a, a firm called Area 23 and um, I'm a strategist there. So I work with pharma clients. So now I used to be at Pfizer, but now Pfizer is one of my clients and we help there, we help launch their brands. But I left Pfizer and I basically took a sabbatical. My father fell sick and my father fell sick and he was diagnosed with cancer. And um, at that point in my healthcare career, even at Pfizer, I had never worked in the oncology cancer space. I was like, marketing drugs that were more for women and, you know, for migraine medication and things like that. Went back to California um, for my dad's treatment. And then I didn't um, want to go back to Pfizer after seeing him sick and, and being with my family. I had to be honest with myself. And I said, you know, the thought of going back to, to do that, I, I'm not happy. And don't get me wrong. I love Pfizer, I love everything they did for me. I met my best friends. I actually met my husband by way of, you know, being there. So I had so much goodness from there. But actually doing that job, I was lying to myself if I was going to be happy doing it. I took a break. I talked to people. I talked to people in the industry. And then I got this opportunity to go work in advertising finally. And they said, there's this role called a strategist where you're basically helping those clients figure out how to launch their brands and how to beat the competition. And what story their brand needs to tell in order to connect with customers. And I said, I will come and I will be part of this. I want to do this, but I want to work in oncology. My father is cancer. So I want to launch cancer drugs and I want to work on helping these like, you know, oncology marketers figure out how to tell their story. And that's what I do. I mean, there's just like, I, I, I look at you and I'm like, this is the type of woman that I want to be. And like, I aspire. I love you. Thank you. I love that. It truly has all come together and it's come full circle for you. And you use your strengths where you need to. And also you hire for your weaknesses, like back with filming the the pilot, like you knew that you couldn't do certain things. So you asked, you made calls and you brought a team together and that you still get to do what you're, you one, you have to do what you always wanted to do in an industry that you know very well in multiple, multiple areas of the industry. And it has a personal connection as well. And yeah, for me, like having multiple businesses similar to you, like it allows me to do a lot of different things that are all important to me in different ways and use my brain in different ways and work with different people. And I, it, I think it's incredible and these are the kinds like I said like I've said it before but like these are the types of people that I want in my life the type of people I love to have on the podcast to share we were talking about it like we don't sit like if, this isn't a roadmap that works for everybody but it works for us but it's to give yeah. an opportunity to see that you could do a lot of different things and you can try out you can always change and pivot or you can go to business school and never work in business or you can go to law school and never work in law or you maybe you do but you do it in a different way or whatever like there's so many avenues and opportunities out there and you owe it to yourself to, to try and you were 100 percent. you you were a model in LA so is that how that the sports illustrated came about or I, I want to make sure we touch on that too like how did yeah that absolutely actually like it's funny it didn't have anything to do with my modeling pursuits in in Los Angeles like I think like 
many women um, in my youth. And I would think I was just so captivated, like I said, by the Southern California beach culture and just feeling like I felt like so different. I felt like I was the other. And um, I tried my hand in modeling and it wasn't really successful at all, but also because I was doing it um, kind of like behind my family's back, I was rebelling against the culture and I was just trying really hard to find myself and figure out why I couldn't be more like everyone else. So I wasn't ever successful in it because I'd always felt like I was half-assing it. And um, then I went through this whole, you know, life path that we just talked about over the course of this hour. And um I had always, you know, admired and loved Sports Illustrated. And I think it's it started because I grew up in a culture that was very modest, where I was continually told, like, you've got to stay covered up. You have to cover up. And especially as I got older, be modest, be covered up, be covered up. And I'm like, well, why do we live in the desert of California where it's like 120 degree weather and you're telling me to like wear pants? And I think then I would see all the women in their bikinis and their bathing suits. And I was like, yes, this is like, this looks so beautiful. So that's where I first fell in love with like Sports Illustrated Swim and thought those women were so beautiful. And I always thought like, I want to be like that. And I want that confidence and I want that freedom to just wear a bikini and be so confident in it. And I always felt free, confident in my bikinis, but I didn't feel free to wear them. And I just kept that kind of bottled in, went about my life and went through school and New York and career and whatnot. And then I met my partner, I met my husband and I'll never forget um, the whole like searching for your identity and trying to find yourself and all of that. And it was 2020, it was 2021. Um, we had just, we finished getting married and we were home with his family for Christmas and my parents FaceTimed us. And I just remember thinking, I never imagined my life would be like this, where I would be married to someone that my parents love, who is not part of our community, and they're excited for me. And there's this wholesome life that I have where my in-laws and I are hanging out for Christmas. Like It was a life I never thought I would get because I didn't know what box I fit into. And that's when I found contentment. I still remember the day where I was like, oh, this is contentment. Different from happiness, different from, this is contentment. And now that I felt content, I remember I turned to him and I said, I got to tell you something. And he really, he jokes now. He's like, God, I thought you were going to like tell me some devastating news. I said, I've always wanted to be a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model. <laughs> and I just needed to say that out loud. And he's like, okay, like, so is there a way to figure out how to do that? Like he didn't even flinch. He's like, okay, like let's, how, how does, how do you go about becoming a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model? And I said, well, they used to have an open casting. They used to have a search competition. We look it up online and it just so happened that that was the first year they introduced their app, which is called the Swimfluence app. And everyone had to apply through the app. It wasn't these live auditions or live castings or castings through Instagram. You joined the app and the app itself is kind of like an Instagram, but it's a closed circuit. And that's how the editors get to know you because you're posting and you're interacting with them and you do your submission videos or the search competition through that. So I felt like it was like a blessing, Kayla, because I was still feeling, I wasn't so, um, you know, I'm in corporate America. I have my parents who come from a more conservative, modest culture. I just never thought unless I like was so blatantly rebellious and just threw out all my bikini pictures onto, you know, um, a public Instagram how was Sports Illustrated going to see me and, and, and notice me? And I did it through the app and 
I'm telling you, like, I was so proud of myself for just putting myself out there that I was enjoying the whole experience. And I didn't go onto the app expecting to make friends um, because I wanted to be a sports illustrated swimsuit model. I didn't join a community to make friends. That wasn't what I was thinking, but I made some of my best friends through that, like an adult female friendships. Those are very hard to come by, especially when you're moving to new cities or moving or leaving a city you've been in for a while. Um, seriously, like four or five of the girls I talked to almost every day, I met them through Swimfluence, all of us going and competing for the same, you know, opportunity to, or chance to be a rookie. And that year I made it to the semifinals and I say it like, I don't even, like, I'm like, I don't even know how I, I really was so shocked when I got the message that I made it to semifinals. I was in this room, actually, <laughs> I, I got the call and I ran out to my husband. I was like, I, I'm going to be interviewed by the editors for a chance to be like a sports illustrated, like swimsuit model. Like this is crazy. Um, even now when I say it, I can't even believe it. Like I, it was such a cool experience and, you know, interviewing with them, getting to meet them and meeting all the other women. Um, I used to say I had no business being there because I was amongst these, cause it's still, you're going, you're going through the search, but you're still amongst professional models right? Like they're not necessarily the, the, the women that like sports illustrated might reach out to and make into a model, but there are professional models trying to win the search competition and to be a rookie and just stunning, beautiful, accomplished. And then you have talk about multi multifaceted women. I don't think there's anywhere you'll meet more multifaceted women than women going out for sports illustrated, insanely talented. And, um, so I used to say I had no business being there and they all had, and a lot of people had big followings on social media. Um, but now I don't say that anymore. Now I'm like, yeah, like I, I, I loved having a seat at that table. And that's kind of from that, I parlayed that into, I need to get into like podcasting and speaking more to other women and telling my story uh, because it was fantastic. And it, again, it reminded me, Hey, always come back to storytelling. Cause I think that's why I made it as far as I did. I, that's incredible. And I love that you, you highlighted that it, you became true friends with these women. And it is so hard to make adult female friendships, but that those are the people that you talk to regularly and that they are talented because I think we all have heard like the, you know, Miss USA controversies and like swimsuits, sports illustrated controversies of like women just in bikinis. Like there's not a whole lot going on there. Like, no, these are the women actually the most going on. And the, the stories that, we all want to hear but because we're posing in a bikini it negates that all of a sudden like that's not fair and I've made it a point to even though I'm a lawyer and a professional I still post bikini pics here and there on Instagram because when I live in Miami I live in a bikini like I'm literally in like a two-piece there right now it's just my <laughs> I'm not gonna hide myself or my body I'm not gonna be ashamed of having it just because of my profession so I, I love that you highlighted that you know that you can do both you can like I said, I yeah. have it all. You might not be able to have it all at once, but you can have it all. You can do it all. And it just makes you who you really are meant to be. And I love that now you're using that platform to share your story and come on the podcast. And I, this hour with you has been absolutely incredible. And I just, for anyone out there, like young, old, don't know where they're at in their career, in school, whatever, like, what is your biggest piece of advice for, for a young woman? It's, it is something that goes back to, you know, what you were saying about failing, but it's not even a piece of advice as it is a question. It's like, you know, 
wouldn't you rather stumble living life than squander it standing still? So, you know, get comfortable falling and enjoy the fall, like fail, keep failing. Cause if you're not failing, that means you're not trying anything. Um, so my biggest piece of advice is don't stand still. It's just, it, you know, standing still is actually exhausting, <laughs> right? Just keep moving, keep falling. I think that you find a lot of joy in life by trying new things. I found that for myself, it keeps life interesting. It keeps my relationship interesting and dynamic. It keeps like the conversations I have with my parents dynamic because as I'm changing, I have new things to share with them. It's just so good for your soul. And, you know, I, I kind of feel like, you know, I'm, I'm coming up on 40 and I feel like I'm just getting started. I love that so much, especially that last sentence. And with the parents too, like I, I joke that my parents are my board of directors because I don't ask for permission. <laughs> I just, because I, I live at home. So like you would think that I have to do this. No, I have full autonomy, but I want them to know, which I never would have thought 16, like, you know, I, that I, I'm like, oh, I'm going out here. I'm doing this. Like I want, like, I get home and I'm like, I'm home alone right now. I'm gonna be like, where were you today? Why are you not home yet? Yeah. Like, they went away for the weekend and I was like, I felt so lonely that no one was home. And they're like, oh, now you want us here? And I'm like, yes, you guys. Like, I enjoy being friends. I love that. Like, sharing what I'm going with, I'm up to my business. The podcast conversation, my dad listens to my podcast. I know he's going to love this episode. And, you know, we talk about the episodes and we talk about the people I'm going to have on or have had on. And like, they'll come up in casual conversations sometimes. And I love that they're invested in my life and that. I'm invested in theirs in a, in a yeah. new, but also, you know, I, I just, everything you just said, and like you're saying coming up on 40, like, I feel like I, I'm coming, I'm turning 26 next month. And I'm like, I feel like I'm, I haven't hit my peak yet. And I'm so glad I have it. I'm so excited. I was telling my mom, I was like, I can't wait to turn 30. I'm excited to see in four, four and a half years where my life is at 30, because I feel like it's only beginning. My career has taken off in the last five, six months. I have this feeling in my gut. I'm a gut intuition person that like 27, 28, I'm going to be able to buy a home and I'm going to be able to, I'm going to meet my husband and I'm going to start having a family. And like, I can't wait to see at 30 what my life looks like because I started doing all the things I'm doing now in my own. Give me goosebumps. I'm excited too (laughs) to follow everything you do. Just getting started. Like, I, I, I love that. Like, People are so afraid to get older. And I was talking to my, one of my best friends. She's like, I'm scared, like, 30s, two and a half years away from me. And I'm like, why? Like, why are you, like, we just got out of school. This is our time to really, like, figure it all out and, like, set up our lives. Like, I'm excited to see what's next. So I'm excited to see what's next for you and, like, continue following along with you. Where can everybody find you? This has been incredible. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I loved every minute of this conversation. I'm so pumped for you. I'm just so excited for you. And I, I love that if anything I said is motivating you, that's such an honor because you're so motivating. Um, but you can all find me at Noor Jahan Tort on Instagram, N-O-O-R-J-E-H-A-N-T-O-U-R-T-E. Long, but that's where you'll find me. And um, I hope to, I hope we, I hope I get to see you at Art Basel and I hope we just keep vibing and keep crossing paths, my girl. I would love to like see you at Art Basel and like get lunch, dinner, coffee, whatever. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast and I will see you guys next week.